here we are, bottom of the Smash Mountain. And today I'm so excited to be joined by Mogul Moose, Aiden Calvin, who is such a such a great person by coming on despite all of the recent activity you have no doubt noticed after debuting The Yard, where you can find him and the rest of the Mogul Moves crew, the podcast called The Yard, and a bunch of other places. Aiden, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for inviting me on. Appreciate it. I guess that would be like the first place that I would want to go to and ask you about. It's it's an overworn bit, so I'll try not to overstay my welcome in that regard. But you get a lot of requests to do stuff, and you have followed through on most of them. You've been on every Melee podcast, it feels like, and appearing in a lot of places. Like, where does that where does that wear thin, and what gets you excited about doing all that kind of stuff? Uh it's funny you mention it because at this point, yeah, pretty much everybody has come around at this point. Uh, you know, it used to be less frequent years ago. Uh, it was melee stats was like the only one I would do. Uh, cause I, I got along or like, I still get along really well with those guys. And I was always like really invested in like minor aspects of the scene, especially following like lower level competition, uh, which melee stats was really, really into. And that's why I liked talking with them a lot. Uh, and then over time, I guess I've, you know, started to get asked to like come on more of these and it's always fun. I, I think I just really like talking about Melee. Like <laughs> I, Melee is uh, or has been, you know, one of the most important things in my life for like eight years now. And uh, I pretty much owe everything in like my uh, like career, a lot of my like social life and friendships uh, to Melee and the Melee community and my own investment into it, in, in it. Uh, so when given the opportunity to like talk about melee and talk about tournaments or players or anything like that, I'm usually just really excited about it. I don't know if it's wearing thin now as I sort of like take this little esports exodus of sorts, but uh, I still I still enjoy it a lot. Oh, that's great to hear. But at the same time, of course, the part of the reason why you are moving on to other things, I'm sure, is because you've been involved for so long and you've reached a lot of different, a lot of different peaks, if you will. I mean, I named this bottom of Smash Mountain because I know where I am on the totem pole in terms of talent and content creation, that kind of thing. Like, I'm just an awful player at Melee, but I love you're, the game so much. I wanted to. You're like, making something that okay. that's counts a lot. You know, this is a okay. this is a game that's still like where anyone is willing to step up and create things. I think it matters a lot. So I wouldn't knock yourself down. Okay, but at the same time, I do remember I do remember you doing a great grade report on the mix-up with Walton Radar, and not that content was like the lowest scoring thing there in terms of melee as a whole, but it did seem as if there's just like, you know, there's just a lot of podcasts right now. I don't know if anybody said that directly. I can't remember at this point anyway, but I think that there's uh, still like on a certain level a certain amount of things that I guess could happen around melee as opposed to content creation. But I'm for me, I just like talking so much. I'm like, I want to talk for an hour straight. <laughs> I can't make myself yeah. six minutes. <laughs> it's uh, it, I mean, it's, it's an easy game to keep going on about, you know, when somebody tells me like, uh, they can't talk about melee for that long. It's, which has come up here and there. I'm like, oh, that's crazy because there's endless things to talk about. And that's why I, I that was the heart of it at Melee Stats is there's just like these endless theoretical conversations you could have about the game and its players um, the deeper you get into it. And that's what I've always enjoyed about it is like sitting at a table with a bunch of people who are into Melee, like going out to lunch and then talking to me, talk, literally talking about Melee for like uh, three hours straight. And uh, I've always... Yeah, I enjoy that because because there's so many there's so many little gems or little things in the community that you can sort of touch on. I mean, that grade report went on for like three hours in itself. So, yeah, it definitely uh, went into the red a little bit there with that particular podcast, but it was still really cool. I managed to get through it, but I will be honest, I am a bit of a one point fiver. I, I can't help it sometimes when I see three hours, I go. I don't have three hours to kill, but I'm just gonna one point five and see how far I can go. For content three is definitely a little too much. <laughs> no, I could never do three. One point five is about the fastest I'll go. <laughs> but like, it, there's a there's a, there is a lot of content creation around melee, so that's really cool. But I even I can't get through all of it. I I pride myself on trying to listen to all the podcasts, but then there's the streamer highlights. It's just so much to go through. But it's been, yeah, it's been really cool to see 
Melee have as much going on in content creation as the game itself has with rollback. So that's been yeah. really cool to see. And now we're getting back into IRL stuff. One of the things I did want to ask you about is about main stage, just sort of kind of, you don't have to break down the entire thing of how do you get a tournament together? But at this point you've done so many events from the invitationals of summit to all of the events out in the Pacific West. And you, this is not uh, the strange thing to you anymore. So at this point, do you even like think about a lot of things or does it just automatically happen like muscle memory for you? There are always a ton of things to think about for sure. Cause most events have various moving pieces that are not the same as, as others uh, with something like main stage. Uh, I know I'm very thankful for is that as, as, someone who is no longer a full-time employee of Summit, there's a lot of moving pieces with main stage that I just don't have to worry about with my role that I've been hired for, which is uh, cool. Like, I really uh, appreciate that because I get to step away a little from, uh, like, what I... I'm not lazy. That's my, that's my roommate. Slime. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, other people get to like do the some of the hardest parts, which have to do with like planning out production, uh, dealing with the venue, dealing with like electrical setup, and like planning planning like floor layout stuff. Uh, that that was said really eloquently. Wow, uh, all these moving pieces uh, that have to do with setting up a tournament that are really difficult and time consuming, and all I really have to do for main stage is focus on uh, the tournament itself happening uh which i really appreciate because that's probably one of the things that i like the most and also it just makes the work a little more condensed and uh a little and makes it a little more muscle memory uh esque i guess in that i have to think about less because i've done that part so many times and that's part the part that probably varies uh so little like tournament to tournament whereas like things like the venue you, you know if you change locations naturally that changes and uh how you deal with like a new venue staff how you like plan out your event from like a physical standpoint or how you deal with like electrical limitations all of those things change event to event and in this case you know somebody else is uh somebody else is taking care of it which uh, is great yeah, you don't have to worry about uh, absolutely every single logistical puzzle. It's really just uh, what you're saying coming down to running the bracket more or less. So would you be trying to seed or do you bring on somebody to help out with that? What about the tournament itself that you'll be involved with directly the most? Yeah, I, I'm mostly, uh, I mostly have to do with like scheduling, um, making sure we have adequate staff to like run the tournament itself. Uh, making sure we have a good format for all the events uh, with melee seating. Like I'll do a lot of the work myself, but then I usually work alongside melee stats to get uh, a, a bulk or like a bulk of it done or like the small details of it done. Uh, and then with ultimate, I usually work with like a seating team for that game as well, because I, I'm not as like familiar with it. Also ultimate just has so many good players from so many regions that seating that game, I think as an individual is basically impossible. Like you, you definitely want like a team, uh, to reference for seating an ultimate tournament. Um, and just, uh, you know, besides, you know, scheduling seating, uh, and brackets aside, uh, that's, that's about all I have to do for that event, which is like the core of TOing, like the, the tournament organizing aspect of it rather than the event organizing aspect of it, which, uh, I, I, you know, I really like, especially for Melee, like just cranking out like a new format, um, and like building out something creative from that standpoint. And then, uh, seeing how you can like work it into a schedule and like planning out an event. That's sort of the thing that makes my brain the happiest and I'm happy to work on that stuff for for a major because it's it's been a long time i haven't worked on a major in uh in a while uh you know the thing with something like smash summit or uh slippy champions league or or summit champions league uh oh right yeah <laughs> is, is that those events uh have so few people so a lot of the core aspects of tournament organizing that take up the most time uh you know don't really happen with events like that and with, so I'm thinking about the pool captains and that kind of thing, because I'm, I'm just being reminded of, I had on a long time ago, Valerie Wonderland, who used to be pool captains at what felt like almost every major tournament. And 
I just that's something that you are going to be handling as well. Like, is that sort of um, specifically for main stage a volunteer thing, or is that well paid is kind of a it's a loaded term. But what I'm asking is, is like how important is it for everybody who's involved with the project at the core to be compensated fairly? That's a question that comes up sometimes like TOs, especially who are running weeklies are not really making anything or just going in the red frequently. So I'm just thinking about like from a financial standpoint, like how viable a a big tournament like main stages in your own perspective. Sure. Uh, I mean, without going into explicit details, I think the costs and like how profitable a tournament like that is, even for a company like Beyond the Summit, is uh, the same or worse than it is for like other major Smash tournaments. Uh, You know, making your Smash tournament profitable at that scale is always a difficult thing. And it's something that uh, just because like BTS has like a lot of resources in comparison to an average TO. Uh, that cost of running the event doesn't change. And think, uh, in fact, I think it might technically be higher for BTS because BTS has a bunch of full-time salaried employees that work on the event, and that's very atypical for a Smash tournament, even at that level. Um, you know, of course, we like pay. Um, I think an advantage that we have is like we have like uh, uh, an entire like company and like revenue stream like outside or like detached from the event to help support upfront costs. And I think we do pay the like key members of staff like well. Everybody's like compensated who is like a critical or like an overarching staff member. So anybody that's like a head TO of a game or like working like in production or is like a stream runner that's working the whole weekend, those people have like day rates that they're paid and like people get food as well. Um, I think the the event still will have volunteers to help with something like pool captaining, uh, captaining where like somebody might run like a pool or two over the course of the weekend. Um, and that's still like a base expectation of our event as it is with other majors, but everybody else who's like a, uh, a more critical and like long-term staff member for the course of the weekend is like a paid, uh, and like contracted role. And even for a tournament like Genesis, so I had on Sheridan, I I haven't released the video and the recording of my interview with Sheridan yet, but obviously head TO for one of the head TOs for Genesis, even, even for a tournament like that, where the outsider eye, or even somebody who goes to the tournament just because their friends are going and they go, oh, okay, this is cool, are not necessarily thinking, wow, this event is like barely staying together, but it feels like that it, it is like that based on accounts from different people. And I mean, Sheridan himself has said, Genesis yeah. still, even to this day, require like a big part of it has to be the venue fees and what people pay to actually get in to play in bracket mm-hmm. or to just be a spectator. And that just must be the, the scariest thing in the world. But for the people who are passionate enough like yourself, like Sheridan or all the other TOs who run major level tournaments, that's also an incredible thing to like, it's a, and the best way for me to say it as a compliment, like it's almost like a little bit of crazy mixed in with just the drive to get it done. Yeah. It's, it, 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 you need to be willing to take the financial risk. And that's why so many TOs do it based off of like the love of the game. And I, I think like why melee fought melee is such a good game that it fosters people who are willing to do this over so many years is that, uh, you, being a TO is not a lucrative endeavor. You do not make a lot of money. Um, you might even like lose money. Uh, not to you know call anyone out, but we've even had like a story of somebody mortgaging their home to like pay off a tournament that didn't turn out well, right? And that's like an extreme, of course, but there are plenty of smaller examples of people paying costs out of pocket to like improve their event or host an event in the first place. Like I've absolutely done that. I'm sure the earlier uh genesis tournaments did that i think like as it scales up over time and we get a little more like structure in terms of sponsors things have gotten a little better but still to this day like the majority of the revenue for a smash tournament is the attendees uh like the ticket sales and when you're talking about your biggest events being things that pull in like a few thousand attendees which is uh smash con genesis uh, Riptide now, Big House. These are events that are pulling in 2,000 to 5,000 people, right? It's not an 
it's not a crazy quantity when you compare it to something like a music festival, for instance. Like these are pretty low numbers when you consider like what our peak is. And uh, when you consider the costs of hosting events this large, uh, you know, those, those getting as many attendees as possible is, is pretty much everything when it comes to your revenue stream. Something that's getting a little better, although unfortunately not as fleshed out as it should be, is sponsorship structure in the scene. So ideally, uh, we would have uh, event sponsorships or companies coming in to advertise that would give a lot of money that would be the primary financial support of these events. But very few tournaments uh, have the sales resources to make that happen. It's very difficult to do that as an independent tournament organizer. Uh, getting big sponsorship deals is not something that you can just cold call and like make happen. Uh, they're very rare. And uh, BTS is in a unique spot where we actually have a sales department at the company. But even for us, it's not something that is not a challenge. It's something that we have to, you know, put a lot of resources into. And uh, even even our sponsorship revenue it can be limited depending on the event. So for uh, independent TOs who are trying to make their events uh, you know, not even profitable, but maybe even at small enough of a loss that they can like go and do it anyway. Uh, the attendees are like everything. Uh, and I think that's something really important to stress is that the financial structure in the scene is just, um, it's, it's really stressful on most organizers. And that's uh, something people should keep in mind when they think about like why tournaments don't have like certain resources or something. And why so many events historically are basically off the back of volunteer hours of people who, you know, just really care about the game and the community and want to put something cool uh, on. And on top of all of that, then there is the pressure that starts to creep in over time of going, oh, Aiden runs a bunch of tournaments. Oh, Aiden's probably somebody I can go to with an issue that's like totally outside of the game. And it's not like, there's just like almost like an uncharted territory that Smash and other FGC like gaming as a whole has to deal with where there's just a certain amount of like that, of, of the bad stuff that comes in over time where everybody looks to the people who kind of run tournaments on like the larger scale and go, well, what do you, what do you all have to say about that? Because there's not really that idea of either looking to the publisher in, in smashes instance, but even still just like there are things that are not necessarily what a fledgling TO thinks of when they first start running events. And then there's a lot of pressure that comes in over time, something that you've experienced. So what I'm trying to ask is now that you're starting to uh, transition away, like the one thing I would ask is what do you think about leaving somebody behind in, in your role? Or do you not think of it that way of like a successor, I guess? I don't know if there's any direct successor I could have in the sense that I didn't have an official title within the overall community. Like there is no official positions within our community. There's just people who, have organized large tournaments and then take the burden of community leadership on over time. And I think I was a person who was among that group of larger organizers in the smash scene who, uh, you know, had to weigh in on stuff here and there, but a lot of people share that role and like, there's no formal process for stepping away and summoning someone replacing you. Um, I think, you know, in a more like professional capacity at BTS, there was someone who was hired as a project manager, you know, but that person isn't necessarily directly involved in the Smash community, um, which isn't necessary, which isn't a problem at all. Like BTS will still be involved in Smash. They still have a great staff that put on events like before I was even there and will continue to put on events after, right? But, uh, you know, there's in terms of my community role, there's no official replacement or something, which I don't think there needs to be. Um, you know, it, there's sort of an ebb and flow to community leadership that uh, is inevitable in a com uh, community that's structured uh, in the way ours is. I think attempts to structure leadership in the past have been really uh, poor outside of the code of conduct. And even the code of conduct was something that was eventually overwhelmed by uh, the demand for it. And it going away is very understandable because the people who are putting that together and putting the time into that were ultimately putting up massive volunteer hours for something that is extremely mentally 
emotionally taxing like to expect people to stay forever and like do hours and hours of free work at with that with those sort of consequences is is unfair uh because people have their normal lives that they need to attend to they have jobs that they need to work in order to like make their living and uh while those efforts are admirable and very important uh you know it's very taxing on whoever puts them together and so that's why community leadership is uh, i think like so all over the place and uh you know, in the melee community, there's sort of a slight organization to it, uh, in kind of hidden in the background, where people do, I think, like large TOs and community figures do discuss things and have meetings, and try to make uh, decisions uh, for the better of the community as a whole. But ultimately, we're very disjointed, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, decisions that are ultimately made at the local level that you know a national TO of sorts would never have any way uh, weight and the decision-making of. So, yeah, no replacement, and uh, I wouldn't expect there to be. It's just, like, not really how things work. And there's still plenty of community leaders around who help make large decisions and are helping the community become a, like, better and safer place. And I'm confident, you know, leaving the community in those people's hands because, frankly, they, a lot of them already did a more significant and better job than I did in that regard. And I'm the roles that I see myself stepping away from are not nearly as important as what a lot of other people were already doing. It's hard enough to have like uh, either a community that's like not melee be well and surviving and thriving or even like the United States. I mean, like anytime you have a community of people together, it's just going to be challenging no matter what the circumstances are. But I think that, yeah, Smash has a, a unique challenge of not having the automatic advantage of, of a publisher kind of like, like Nintendo more mm -hmm. or less stepping in and saying, we're going to pretty much run most of this and people in the grassroots, grassroots level will not have nearly as much control, but here we are. And so it's a, it's a double-edged sword. We have an opportunity to make something great happen out of it if enough people are trying to move in a, in a positive direction. But I, I appreciate hearing what you're saying about, like, you, you knew for yourself that it wasn't something that you were the most involved with anyway. And, and the good news being that there are plenty of other people who want to continue to help the community move forward. That's great to hear. And so for you, now that you're starting to become less of Aiden the tournament organizer and more of Aiden working for Mogul Moves trying to do other endeavors like talk to me about what's exciting for you right now and in these coming weeks and coming months yeah uh the transition has been not too difficult so far I've been really excited about mostly the company itself and like the level of autonomy that I have now um, so working with my friends, working on a project that I think uh, always had a lot of potential, which is, uh, doing, you know, merch for a variety of people in like the YouTube and Twitch space. Um, and I, I think the company just like has a long way to go from, from here now that, uh, I'm working on it full time, uh, day to day. Like I enjoy working with Slime and Ludwig and, and Nick, who's like helping us with some stuff, even though he's still, uh, full-time at beyond the summit he's uh he just like you know provides advice and chimes in on things and uh you know helps out uh he uh, yeah yeah i think that's probably the most like exciting short-term part about the job is that i'm just really excited about the future of it it's going well so far in like the two weeks that i've been here uh <laughs> and uh as it kind of develops down the road i i think i was just really looking for something that sort of let me structure my life in a way I was more excited and comfortable with because during COVID I there's sort of this uh, confrontation of what your priorities are and what you want out of your life and like where you want to grow from here and uh, not that my job at BTS was bad by any means it's the best job I've ever had and I really loved it there but there were small things I saw that I could get out of like this job in terms of its like potential growth, my position in shaping that growth, and then my ability to like work, um, you know, sort of my own schedule and uh, work, work as necessary to get the job at hand done, uh, rather than like conferring to you know scheduled office hours or something. Uh, all those things are make it really really appealing and exciting. 
Um, and uh, just in the work itself, it's it's pretty similar to a lot of the work I used to do at Smash GG early on, which was in like the 2016 to 2018 sort of time period. And that was when I liked my job at Smash GG the most as well. So the work kind of crosses over with a lot of like previous experience, which makes me happy because uh, it's nice to feel knowledgeable and like know how to navigate certain situations, even if they're challenging and new in their own ways as well. Uh, so yeah, that that's sort of gotten started and uh just to step away from like esports and smash and sort of breathe a bit and just see what other things are like i think i really appreciate that opportunity as well because in a lot of ways i think it was getting worn out by smash uh in that there didn't feel like a lot of like new fun things to pursue anymore except play the game i still love playing melee um but playing melee aside like i didn't want to be this cornerstone or like accessible community leader person anymore that felt obligated to do stuff for smash all the time uh i wanted a break from that and uh this job also gives me an opportunity to step away from that and there hasn't been enough time for you to fully see kind of like the the depreciation and it's not necessarily that you're wanting to find things wrong with what you just left behind but it's like me trying to ask you now that you have i mean you're you're not okay we got to back up a little bit you're not like at the retiring age or the moving on to no. something else age for say i mean like i'm i'm 25 going on 26 i feel like you're slightly younger than me is that right yeah i'm 24 right so you've already done <laughs> like a legitimate like athlete level NFL kind of like career thing and now you're doing other things and that's really cool but I think that a lot of people would look at you and go like why not keep going and I mean you have so much you have so much of life to live and you can just keep this going for a little while longer like pressure pressure kind of a thing like oh you just got settled in you just started to make this all work and now you're yeah. gonna like start over again or that kind of feeling or do you not feel that at all I, I thought about that. I, I think that the ceiling, not that the ceiling has been reached in terms of Smash organization or something like that. Uh, there's always more work to put in, but I think it's like the ratio of work to mental payoff to pay. It's sort of like a lot of the things I really sought out with a fire at the beginning, I already achieved and working harder wasn't necessarily providing me with any more satisfaction uh, I just, you know, I just felt like I was kind of over it. And when I put together like a big tournament or I had the opportunity work to work on a tournament, it didn't matter that much to me anymore, even though it's special in its own right. And they're still like, you're still proud of what you accomplished or what you helped build. It's not the same as like the crunch before putting together your first major, like that sort of like mental stress and the the a level of emotion that comes along with that is just gone now. And it's not something that I would ever get again, I think, unless I could magically run a Smash tournament with like 10,000 people or 20,000 people, which in the near future is just not even conceivable. And the other problem with that is even if it is, or even if there are these like major changes you could make within the scene and like pursue, the money just isn't there to make it worth it. It's like, as I, as I kind of like move on and I uh, seek out like more uh, financial comfort and financial security for the future, uh, Smash, you know, doesn't provide it in a very like clear way. And it's not that you can't have a job uh, in esports or a job in Smash um, and like be paid decently well, or even like climb the ladder at certain companies. Like if you work at Riot, um, you can, you know, I'm sure you get paid really, really well. Um, but even then there's sort of this ceiling on it right now, or even in the broader esports industry, where I think a lot of companies are still in the mode of, they can take advantage of people's like passion for gaming, um, and keep like salaries proportionally low to what they might be at like a tech company or something. And I'm not saying it's like chase the money because like money is certainly not the most important thing to me, but I definitely saw a path that was like very interesting to me that I wanted to pursue that was like potentially, it, it, I mean, it's not yet, but potentially more lucrative uh, through like a, a clearer path. Whereas like I can imagine myself working on smash tournaments for like the, or even esports tournaments for like the next decade. And like my financial security 
uh, not really changing much over the course of that, like five to 10 years. And, uh, you know, there comes a time when you want to like jump ship. If I, if I don't have the mental payoff of like working really hard on something new, uh, anymore, that part's gone. Well, the only part really left is like the money and, uh, and that part isn't there either. Uh, so that's, those are sort of the things that I weighed and, uh, on top of like daily quality of life, which was like, oh yeah, maybe I don't want to go back into the office like for, for, you know, seven, seven, eight hours a day, which is, uh, uh, and I do want to work at home like more permanently. There's all these sort of things that are weighed in the decision-making of like leaving something like esports, which is, is a cool industry, right? A lot of kids like dream of getting their job in like video games or esports or something like that. So how do you walk away from that? It's just like, oh, weighing, weighing these things in front of you and being like, this isn't like working out for me anymore. Uh, I think there's also other things. I don't, I don't know if you're okay with me still going on this. But oh, you can keep going. You have the space. It's all yours. There is also things like uh, the more I learned about the esports e- industry in general, the more jaded I became about it. Uh, I think a lot of the money in esports right now and the way it like flows in uh, is just kind of bums me out. Like it's it's shitty. It's these companies have the most money and it revolves around marketing. It, you know, Slime has put it on Twitter. Uh, a few times for players that want sponsors it's like it's not about being good it's about how many doritos you can sell yeah the doritos um, thing and yeah and like the say the 30 40 you know 50 year old person in charge of the marketing budget at a company doesn't really understand like what would make for a good event and because they have the money they get to shape a lot of the decision making and you are forced at times to make decisions that you know will be bad uh, and make for a worse product, but you have to because that person has has the bag, and I hate that. I I hate being dishonest. It, I felt that way towards the end of Smash GG because a lot of my job was essentially selling the platform to like new communities and like uh, tournament organizers, and I knew it didn't suit their needs, and it felt really bad to have to like try and convince people to use a platform that I knew was not their solution. Like I didn't I didn't like that feeling. And I'm not saying that I felt that to the same degree in esports or at BTS because BTS is a company that I think maintains like a great level of like creative freedom for its employees, but there are still times where it wasn't ideal and in general realizing that the esports industry functions that way. So if like I ever did move on somewhere else, like that problem was going to become bigger, not better. Um, so that, that was a big part of it. And then another thing was like during COVID, I became, I've always thought about this. Like I've always been someone who's been like somewhat set on this, but during COVID, I think I became very resolved on the idea of like not living in the U S anymore. And, uh, the opportunity to move abroad and keep this job was just like way more likely than being able to keep my job at BTS and work remote abroad. So it sort of fit that timeline of like how I want to build out my future, uh, which is also like part of the decision-making. So there's all these things that are like equal parts in why somebody would make a decision like this. Cause like on paper, BTS was the job that I always wanted, I think. Uh, and so when you walk away from that, like a lot of things need to be in order. And uh, I think it becomes from like a belief in the company and interest in the work, how my life is like shaped around it and the the level of success I think I can find in the future. Like uh, all those things sort of line up. And then also just getting to work with my friends, which I think is really nice. Like we all get along super well and it makes for a nice and like fun work environment. Right, as compared to you have to be around that 40, 50, 60 year old person and pretend to be their friend just to make the ball roll. And that is, <laughs> I, yeah, I had experienced even... it on the esports level, but I know what you're talking about. It sucks. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's not even pretending to be their friend in that I think I can get along with anybody in a genuine way. Like, I don't mind, like, being friendly with the person. It's just, like, the dynamic of having to clash, like, creatively with somebody and them not giving you room to push back. Um, I think something that I am good with is, like, understanding, like, when I can push back with those people and, like, fighting for my way, even, like, when they do have kind of all the power in their corner and then getting my way. Like, 
and I only do that if I'm like really set and like really confident that I can like not blow the situation and like make a more impressive product for them because like they do want a good product at the end of the day out of their money. But I think there just were situations where like the situation was out of my hand and I was like, damn, this, this sucks. Or like just finding out about like how sales works in general. And it was like, it, I think sales just kind of revolves around the idea of like kind of, telling half truths to people who don't really understand what they're doing, who have the money and then convincing them to spend money. And it's, it's not even that you're like convincing them of a bad thing necessarily, because there's a lot of value in like, you know, giving a money, money to an esports event and like marketing your product on it. I don't think that is the bad part. It's just the idea that like, you can't be honest in the way you sell it, the way the path to like convincing them that it's a good idea. Like, skates over a lot of the points that are actually valuable and true and like touches on these points that I think don't really matter or shouldn't matter. And that bothers me because it feels like, Oh, well, why can't we just be honest with these people? Because they should understand the value in what they're doing in what we're doing. But a lot of them don't. And because they have no understanding of like the industry or like what they're actually involved with. So, uh, and that just leaves like a bitter taste in my mouth. Uh, it's, it just feels bad. So, Please tell me where you want to like live and work with mogul moves. Like, where are you going to go to once you, you know, there's a lot of things that have to happen first, I'm sure, especially as it relates to the pandemic, but where are you going? I'm, I'm weighing it right now. I've had like a list of places in my mind for a while that I think like I have confidence in that would be good. Um, but, uh, have to get like a better, better feel for it and think about it more. The, I think the UK uh, has always like I've I, I've been there a lot and spent a lot of time there and I know I like it and I have a lot of friends there which I think porting over your social life or having a social life when you move somewhere like makes pretty almost all the difference. Uh, so having that uh, makes the UK really appealing. Australia um, is appealing for the same exact reason pretty much uh, as the UK. Um, and then I've thought about, um, Sweden for similar reasons too. admit, I know less people there, but I still have like a good group of friends there. Um, and then the other place, uh, that I've considered like the most is New Zealand. Uh, but, and I, it's really, really nice there, but the problem is, uh, I would be much more isolated. Like I just know less people there and it would be a much harder reset. Whereas like with other places, it's like, I know I like that place, uh, like are like like the weather i'm familiar with the culture i have friends there like all those things make it easier um but with new zealand it's like oh i give up that like social life aspect so a uh, part of what i wanted to do and like what i've been waiting with covid is like a real opportunity to just go back and spend more time in these places and get a feel for like oh maybe this is where i want to settle down and the timeline for that is you know like uh, I think like two years out, year and a half out. So, you know, I, I think about it all the time, but you know, w when a pandemic sort of upsets the timeline of everything, it also, also affects stuff. And, you know, and now that we have the podcast too, it becomes this thing where it's like, oh, well, I have this project with my friends that we do in person. That's like really, really fun. You know, how does that shape the future? Like, where does that go? And uh, I don't know yet. I just have to wait for a lot of these things to play out. Yeah, so we can talk about the podcast a little bit. I've been able to listen to, I think, like the first two episodes and sadly have not been able to catch up since then. It's on the watch later list, but I think no that... <laughs> I think that there's a great there's a great chemistry there that is already because you all live together that's just going to automatically make it pop off so much better. But my question to you is like how long do you spend talking about something conceptually before actually jumping into it when it's the four of you as compared like you know what i mean like you don't have to no, talk about it a lot funny. right that's super funny because at most at most it's bullet points in a discord chat and at at least it's which has been more common with like the last two episodes it's been like basically nothing like it'll be like mentioned prior perhaps or sometimes for the fourth episode we basically went to, into everything blind and it's just on the on the seat uh with what you have to say. So I do think there is like merit or like good things that come when we like list out a few topics that we know we can reference, uh, as the conversation flows. Uh, but the fourth episode is a good example of like n literally nothing being pre-planned and us just walking into the episode. And it's funny because I think, I, I think the fourth episode is actually the one I like the most. 
so so far. Yeah, because you don't have to look at a bullet point and go, we have to get to that at some point. How do you shoehorn this in? We're already at like mm-hmm. 60 minutes. Like we can't, uh, I'm sure that's part of it. For me, I like took maybe like three notes down for this interview, not because I wanted to be disrespectful, but just because I'm like, I don't want to make it a 20 questions thing where I keep you structured. I wanted you to like have space. Like that's how I like to do interviews. No, that's cool. There's there's certainly benefits to both, right? And like whatever style I think is like preferred by the person like leading the conversation or uh, depending on the dynamic of like the group that's together, like with us four, I think it's easy enough for us to sort of pass ideas back and forth and just go because that was the origin or like the idea behind the podcast was like when Nick Ludwig and Slime lived together and it was just them three, they would go back and forth and just be funny with each other in like the car or the house, right? And that's sort of the idea uh, behind the podcast in the first place or like how the idea originated was just those conversations. And uh, so naturally rolling over into a podcast environment, you still don't need those like talking points to like turn it into a viable episode, at least with like this group. And I think from an interview standpoint, right, you're doing something that like fits your ideal style of like navigating this conversation, which I think is, uh, which I think is good. I appreciate that. And Something that I want to do at some point, and so I'll just share this with you, and maybe you guys can do something similar to it and not give me credit. That's all fine and well, but eventually I want to do a podcast episode where I pretend like all of a sudden this is either a baking show or it's like the the Las Vegas Golden Knights podcast or something and just pretend like all of a sudden this is what it is with like no warning whatsoever, and then... And on the on the episode right after everything's back to normal no mention it's just like a totally <laughs> blank space but i think what i need is to pop off a little bit more because i don't have the yard numbers yet by a long stretch but i think i need to wait until a time where there's enough people actually going on the twitter and being like whoa 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 what is what what's happening because i just feel like that would be really fun to do yeah i do like that concept a lot and I think the four of you selling that would just be hilarious because it's not just one person who can, who's trying to keep a straight face. It's it's literally four of you. But you know, I'll try to do it first, maybe, and you can just see it. Uh, and and not then maybe just we can get a feel for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I could just do uh, <laughs> to make people really upset. Do like an ultimate podcast and pretend like that's the best Smash game, because you know yeah. it's, it's obviously not. <laughs> And you, <laughs> you know what's funny? I was playing. I was playing a lot of Ultimate. I was in Seattle last week, and I was just playing a lot of Ultimate with uh, the friend I was staying with, and uh, I had another friend there as well who just latched onto Hero, and we played for hours. And uh, I hated. I, I just. I, I. I was so tilted. <laughs> I was having such a bad time, but I hate losing, and I just want to win so bad. And I just want to figure out the matchup so bad so i just kept playing and kept playing and kept playing (laughs) and i do think like as i continue to delve into the game or like as i was playing it in the beginning like after it came out because i went to a lot of ultimate tournaments for a while or at least a decent chunk right and there's a lot of fun to be had in the game and uh it's just like silly in its own way so i i think just like maybe just randomly having an ultimate community episode would be cool and then you could bring on like some uh community figure from like that game uh, Lord knows they have a lot of players to talk about, so at least you'd have that to fall back on. I could just keep a list of of player names that I think are obscure and just try to mm-hmm. name drop them like it's a conversational thing, like totally unrelated, see how long it takes yeah. the guest to actually go, wait, you're naming ultimate players right now. You can't sneak <laughs> in MK Leo. That's the best player in the world. You can't do that. I don't even know how I would do that naturally anyway. <clears throat> Maybe a few of them play melee. You know, a few of them could give melee, uh, have given melee a shot. So maybe it's worth it. Just like to, <laughs> so, joke. Uh, we've been at this for about forty-five minutes. So I will see if. Okay, so I didn't like plan a whole lot, like I said earlier, but I'm just trying to think of one more non-Smash related thing because I definitely don't want to make this uh, all about it. We've been able to talk a lot about like different things, of course, already, but something that I'm thinking of is now is like uh, equipment. So this has been on my mind because I just started doing the video form of this podcast this week. You're the third interview I've done. And I don't have an HD webcam yet, but that's coming in Amazon in the next couple of days or so. So hooray for upgrades. But I'm just looking at all this equipment that I've been having to look at and go as cheap as I can because I also just moved into a new house uh, 
this past week as well. And I'm going, wow, there's just so much out there. Like, is it really necessary? I'm just curious, like you've had to deal with a lot, a lot of equipment, I'm sure from the streaming way and recording, just like your own phone, what you like to use, like with technology and with equipment specifically around like recording or videos and, and sound, like what do you think of when it comes to that kind of stuff first? Well, uh, admittedly, although my, maybe my knowledge is a bit more substantial than like the average person on the street. I do think that's like one of my weaker areas where like my understanding of the small details in production or uh, recording in general are not super fleshed out. Uh, I just have like a vague understanding of like what would be needed to put together, you know, a podcast or a show or like a shoot or something like that. So when it comes to that stuff, I'm lucky to be surrounded by people who have a much more in-depth knowledge of it, Uh, especially Nick, uh, as someone who literally works in editing and like cinematography, uh, knows a lot about just photography in general, even does like graphic design. He's someone who knows a ton about this uh, from a technical standpoint. Uh, Nieper, who used to live with us, is a broadcast engineer. So he has a ton of knowledge about live broadcast uh, tooling. And uh, Slime is just someone who's worked on a lot of shoots as well and has a pretty good understanding of these things. Um, So when it comes to like picking out equipment for uh, the podcast, for example, there's a lot of work that's done by someone like Nick in like compiling the equipment that we should get or the equipment that we need to put together the show. Or um, we've hired a friend of ours to be the producer for the show, for instance, and he's someone with like a really strong technical background who helped us pick out a lot of the uh, equipment for uh, recording, broadcasting, uh, et cetera. So I I think we're just really lucky to like be surrounded by a lot of people who really, really know their stuff when it comes to the entertainment industry in general. Uh, So that carries over to the small details of something like equipment. And then I just get to like ride on the coattails of those people who, if I ever have specific questions, like they can answer them. And then I sort of have that uh, small increase in my own knowledge base from just being around it all the time. Like I, I know stuff about like a lot of live production work because I've just sat around enough live production, not enough to like work a job full time in that field by any means. I do not have that technical expertise, but having like, been around it enough you just like pick up things and like understand them if they're explained to you which is which is a nice thing um and uh i think something that is really helpful in the context of like planning projects too so if you're ever like putting together something like a tournament for instance having an understanding of like the level of technical expertise and the amount of hours that have to go into something like putting together a stream, that's super valuable to you as like the project manager or the tournament organizer, because uh, it gives you, first of all, it gives you like a certain level of empathy for their work and like the stress they might, might be going through, but also like um, the time that you should give them to put something together, the amount that they're compensated. Uh, so and, and without that background knowledge, like I remember when I first got into TOing, not really understanding all the effort that it put to put together a nice stream. I was just like, oh yeah, it's just something that happens and they just do it, <laughs> but it's not. It's, it's the most like technically and like physically demanding thing that happens on a show or like in a tournament, in an esports tournament environment. Um, and I, it makes me really bitter now when I see people like if there's any tiny fuck up in the product, and Twitch chat goes crazy over it. They're like, fix audio, fix audio. And the audio isn't fixed within 30 seconds. They're like, audio still isn't fixed? It's like, dude, what do you think? Do you think the problem is just super simple? Like, oh, this button isn't clicked down? Like, you you think that's what the problem is? That we haven't fixed it yet? Uh, and uh, As if a bunch of stupid idiots are behind the production desk. And I hate that because there's so much that goes into producing a show like Smash Summit. Um, that people just have a zero understanding of or even appreciation of. Uh, and that always really bothers me now that I have a better understanding of it. Uh, because I now when I reflect on the way I was when I was 17, for instance, I really hate that. And uh, Twitch chat is filled with a bunch of 17-year-old me's that expect the show to just be perfect. 
uh, when it's it's so much more detailed and, and intricate than that. And something that uh, I heard of on the, you told a story of like how you would just go right back to bat on people who would message you or tag you on Twitter and be like, you know, this sucks or whatever. And then you go back to them and be like, do you want to, do you want to flesh that out? Do you want to actually try to say something intelligent? And they go, uh, they because, can't. because they can't. Yeah. I, I love doing that. Cause if you just take the time to like check people, if you, if, if it, the number of comments like isn't overwhelming and it's within reason, uh, confronting those people usually results in them having to back down. And then if they're a troll, they'll just continue to be shitty. And then you kind of know you've won and it's okay. <laughs> and you can just walk away from it. But if the person is actually like, uh, most people, if you challenge them, I've found will just like apologize and then keep it in mind for the future. I feel like even in like an internet interaction. And I think it's important to take the time where you can to like, uh, challenge those people and tell them they're wrong because, uh, you know, meaningless comments like that are, are, you know, kind of hurtful at best and like, and also allow people to like dogpile bad opinions at worst. And I, I hate that. Yeah, it is definitely one of my least favorite things about the internet is that there's like a mob mentality that develops very quickly. And I, I guess that Twitch chat is probably the most guilty of it because it is happening real time and you can just, it's just yeah. so easy to press the same emote that everybody else is using to just say, hey, this part of it sucks or whatever. So I'm sure, yeah, very, very stressful. But as of now, you don't record the yard live. That's just happening Mm -hmm. locally and then it gets polished and, and pushed out so would you say that you would always prefer to do that or would a live show be something that the yard would ever consider down the line yeah um i think a consistent live show is something that we're probably not going to do as we've talked about it more and gotten a feel for the first episodes i think the ability to go back and sort of edit the product into something more palatable is important and being able to like deliver a just a better product is important uh, when it comes to your average episode. But I think the idea of live shows is something we've like vaguely discussed and doing it in like a one-off environment or doing it in a more like unique way, like not just doing the normal show live, but doing something special and then doing that live seems more appealing and something we've talked about a bit more, but no solid plans for the future. I think that could go a lot of ways. You know, we're only like five episodes in, right? So the podcast yeah. <laughs> has a lot of, uh, a lot of room to like grow, uh, you know, in terms of numbers, but you know, primarily creatively. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's really cool that you feel like that it's only just beginning. But uh, the other truthful part of the matter is, and this is something that I didn't think of, but of course, duh, Ludwig streams live. So like, there's plenty of live content yeah. happening for those who really want it. It's right yes. there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They they can get their fill for the most part, or I hope they would. <laughs> only the most intense Ludbug probably doesn't, but the, you can't help those people. They're too far gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So as we get in the direction of wrapping up, something that I wanted to ask you about is like how you feel your your competitiveness has, has changed over time because I feel like that's a big part of how you've interacted with the world around you is just through the vein of wanting to do things better. And it's probably a double-edged sword as well, but have you... Certainly. Have you had times where you've wished otherwise about how you feel really competitive about a lot of things where maybe oh, I could just be like a little bit more chill about this or or have you come to really enjoy it and you lean into that part of yourself that it's a strength of yours to be used for, you know, making yourself better and the world yeah. better around you? It, this is funny. It, this is a funny question because it kind of reminds me of something that we came up sort of recently where like I'm talking on our podcast about hating Catan and saying how bad it is. And I think it's primarily because like I think it's a bad it's a terrible game to play if you like want to win because there are so many factors in it that are out of your control. I, I agree that, with you a hundred percent. Yeah. And I, that just makes me dislike the game because I like to be able to be good at the game. If I put effort into it, uh, which Catan does f not feel like it rewards very well. And that is part of why I do not like Catan. And I've just been thinking about that specific example lately. I do think where my, uh, where I've like toned it down and, uh, you know, ego, competitiveness. Um, sometimes you need to like actively peel it back so you can enjoy just a more 
mundane activity with friends. And I think that's where I step back and sort of evaluate things. It's like, it doesn't really matter if I win this small interaction or game between like me and some close friends. It It's not a big deal. Um, and me allowing like competitiveness to ruin the enjoyment of something for myself. Cause I don't think it's like in a way where I think it impacts other people's experience. Um, is important to look back on. And I think I, I think I talked about this on another like melee podcast, but I think the biggest like change or like self-reflection I think I've made in the long term is like letting go of the ego I had when I was younger. On uh, uh, the Deer interview. Yeah. Shout outs to Deer, Gallant Melee Open. Woo woo. Yeah, yeah. Great. I loved that interview. And I think that's not that I don't have an ego, but I've certainly like knocked it down a lot over the years. Because, like, that was in part a motivator for, like, achieving things. But it was also hurtful. Um, and I think that's bad. And in a similar way, I think I've become a little less competitive about things because I've recognized the, like, small toxic ways it can sort of manifest or, like, affect my ability to enjoy something. But I think overall that competitiveness uh, breeds a drive for success that I think is important um, when you're pursuing... Uh, more important things in like your career, for instance. I, I think it is a mostly good quality that I have certainly capitalized on in a way that makes it good. And I think I recognize the ways that it is bad and the ways that I have had to like curb it and fix it over time. You know, it's not a perfect thing. I think there are still instances where I'm probably too competitive over something that's pretty arbitrary. Um, but the important thing is that I think I've evaluated that and like knocked it down in a way that makes me uh, not not ruin something for someone else or like not ru even ruin it for myself, which is sort of the important self-reflection to make there. And right. And something that I think about for myself is I go, I want to be like a little bit more outgoing sometimes because I can be like really just in words and really introverted. But then I go, I should really just like reach out and like say hello to somebody, not for no reason or just because hmm. whatever, because I, I still can't quite stand the idea of doing that. But like I've gotten better at it, but I still feel like there's there's still room to grow without totally swinging the pendulum in the in the uh, complete total opposite direction and just being too social i guess but yeah but, yeah but we it's all have about... but we all have things that we like either are learning to like about ourselves or 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 it's continuing to improve but I, I just love hearing like how there's there is that reflection process for you that you're thinking to yourself this is a good thing and i can i can make it better too yeah exactly you just need to the the push or the change can come in like small bits it doesn't need to be this gigantic you know, 180 change where you just fix and become the perfect human being right away. It's just, uh, I, I think the best way is like taking something you think is negative or like a negative habit you have um, and then recognizing when it comes up or arises and then being like, hmm, maybe I'll just try something different right now. And then doing that more and more often and like actively thinking about it until you don't have to think about it at all anymore. And it just is the way you think about it. And for those of you Melee listeners and viewers who are still paying attention, that could be a Melee habit, you know? If you just keep using the laser over and, and over again and the Martha's power shielding you, what are you going to do? Keep using the laser? Maybe you just don't use the lasers as much as Falco. Yes, exactly. I think this applies to Melee perfectly and something that I think about a lot when I play Melee, so... Uh, I think it, it to similar to similar but minor levels of success. <laughs> <laughs> and so to to close out, please tell the people where they can find you. Any closing thoughts that you have, Aiden? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you uh, Twitter is probably where I'm like the most active in general. That's at Aiden Calvin, no space. Um, and then uh, if you want to, I don't know if there'd be any other place to like really follow me uh twitter is probably the main outlet you know people can follow my instagram at the same thing but my instagram's a lot more boring and has nothing on it so uh other than that yeah feel free to like you know say hi on twitter lords knows enough uh, you know other people do because it became like they a do. meme to dm yeah. me on the podcast so yep. uh, at this point i may as well lean into it uh 
but yeah, yeah, that would be the place. And I thank you so much, Jesse, for having me on. I really appreciate it. This is a really like nice change of pace compared to the other shows. Not that the other shows are like bad. It's just like I think carving out an identity and being a little different and like your approach is really cool. And I, I appreciate that a lot. Oh, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate it. And so to outro you, basically, we have possibly the most handsome person on the yard, possibly the most funny person on the yard, but definitely the most Aiden, the future world traveler. Thank you for joining me on Bottom of Smash Mountain. Thanks so much. 